Today we celebrate Independence Day, 4th of July, and that is a good thing to celebrate. We are blessed to live in the country we live in, um, but we here this morning celebrate a freedom of a different kind, as we've already spoken. And, and how tragic would it be if the only freedom we knew lasted for but a lifetime, 80, 90, maybe 100 years of freedom and then an eternity of what? What did it say? What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 8 where speaking about uh, the man who filled his barns full? He said, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what... What tragedy would it be if in our lifetimes the only freedom we knew would be this political freedom, the social freedom that we have? It's, it's vacuous. It's temporary. It's not guaranteed. There's a better freedom to celebrate. And that doesn't demean the freedom we have. Uh, a lot of great men gave their lives for the freedom that we enjoy. But a better man gave his life for the freedom that we live in. And with that in mind, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 8, and we will listen to that man, and we will hear him speak of the freedom that he gives us. And let's let's pick it up uh, in verse 31. But uh, to get context here, Jesus is speaking for some time to a number of people here. Um, back in chapter 7 and verse 37, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in chapter 8, up in verse 23, he says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And they knew he was talking about the Messiah. I am the Messiah. And if you don't believe that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And then we get down to verse 30 where he says, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, he said this, if you abide in me, I'm sorry, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen in my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Lord, I just ask that we would truly be hearing from You this morning from Your Word. I pray for each soul that falls under the sound of my voice that it would not be my voice that they hear. I pray, Father, that they would have an interaction with Your Spirit and with this text. That You would teach each one of us what we need to learn from this passage. I pray, Father, that none of us here would make ourselves exempt 
from correction from Your Word. Lord, I especially pray for anyone here that may not have full assurance of life in You. I pray, Father, they would not be able to dismiss that doubt. I pray, Father, they would not be able to push that concern off for another time. I pray, Father, that Your Spirit would speak so loudly to them this morning that it would be impossible for them to leave without making a decision. Lord, I pray that You would put them at a crossroads this morning. And each one of us that needs some point of confession or submission or repentance or obedience in You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I read this passage, a couple things immediately jump out to me. First of all, the word if in verse 31 really jumps out to me. If you abide in My Word, you are truly, that's another word that sticks out, truly My disciples. If, if, and He's speaking to those who believe. There's no doubt that He's speaking to those who believe. It says so. Jesus spoke to the Jews who had believed Him. If you abide in My Word, then you are legitimately, truly, absolutely, authentically My disciples. And, and from this interaction, I throw out the hypothesis that perhaps there is a level of belief that falls below the threshold of born again to eternal life salvation. Otherwise, why would He warn them of this? And we're going to test this hypothesis, but first, my exhortation to you is this. As you sit here today, this is going to flush out in the passage before us. Assume nothing. That's my first exhortation to you. In regards to your spiritual standing, assume nothing. Just put everything on the table for now and say, okay, I want to honestly look at this from Christ's perspective. I want to put, I want to put myself in Christ's audience. I want to hear Him preach to me. And that means don't make an assumption here. Let's see what Christ has to say. And also as we test this hypothesis, I look back at chapter 2 and verse 24 here in John. And it says this that, it says Jesus, uh, well in verse 23 it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. I also see in chapter 6, in verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. And then Jesus turns to His disciples and says, are you going to leave too? This should be a little bit frightening to us. You have disciples that were following Him that chose not to follow any longer. Earlier in that same chapter, in chapter 6, He's, he's doing the miracles. He's, he's, he's producing bread. And He's feeding them. And... He says to the audience after they, after they track him down and they find him again, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Do we have some seekers here of God? I would say we would all say, yes, I'm one of the seekers of God. He says, truly, truly, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. There are alternate motivations to following Christ. So don't assume for a moment here, let's not assume that you are following Him for the right reasons. Let's, let's test that. Let's see what Scripture has to say to us. And then here in our passage in John chapter 8, this is the whole conflict. Is there are those that are there 
I think there's three different, there's two different audiences that he's addressing. He's speaking to those that believe uh, in verse 30, 31. But then the they in verse 33, I, it can't be those that believe. It's, it's those that were throwing doubts and dispersions throughout this conversation because he says, you're trying to kill me. Those that believed in him wouldn't be trying to kill him, but you've got this mixed crowd. And this we know for sure. There were some in that audience that thought that they were believers. There were some in that audience that thought they were children of God, but Jesus disagreed with them. So I, w- I want to present myself to Christ and see what, what does he have to say about me? And these particular people that he's speaking to in verse 34 through 38, they had some false confidences. They had some other reasons that they believed that they were children of God. And it turns out what they were confident in wasn't really that stable of a source. You know, my children think I'm a pretty good dad. And because they think I'm a good dad, over the years, they have gotten me different, uh, um, oh, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, expressions of their gratitude. I got the hat that says, uh, number one papa. And so I like to wear that when I recently rediscovered that. I got this a few years ago, Super Dad. That sits on my shelf in the office. Uh, this year, I got this one. It says, World's Greatest Papa. Now, I, I could I could look at these and say, look, this is this is the evidence. This is how I know I'm a good father. I mean, they don't just hand these cups out to anybody, you know. I mean, they vet these seriously. They have to make sure you're a good father. And if I were to point at these, you would say that's that is not sufficient evidence to indicate that you are the number one papa. You wouldn't I need to go deeper. I need something more sure than that. And really that's essentially what these guys were looking at when they were sure that they were children of God. In verse 33 they say, "We are the offspring of Abraham of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone." They forget their history, first of all, 200 years in slavery, short memory there, even shorter than that. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And we could say a lot about practice, but one thing we know about practice is it's repeated again and again and again and again. He says, he says, so you're a slave. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So think of the context that they're in. Much a different slavery than what we have in the history of America. It, it was it was a part of the, the every household was almost like a, its own company, and the slaves were bond servants, indentured, a part of that system. And if it was a good house, it was a good thing to be a slave in that house. It was a good thing to be a servant in the house. It'd be better to be in that house and be a part of a productive system that is working than to be out on your own and living in poverty. But there was a distinction between the sons and the slaves. The slaves weren't guaranteed to be in the house forever. The son is guaranteed to be in the house forever. And these these people that Jesus is talking to, their confidence, as feeble as this, their confidence is, but I'm in the house. I'm in the house, so I know I'm a child of God. And Jesus says, 
Yeah, but your, your actions indicate that you're a slave. And a slave may be in the house, but a slave is not of the house. A slave may be in the house, but a slave is not in the family. I am in the family. And you need to be set free. You need to acquire sonship if you want to have true confidence. And I want us to be careful as we don't make any assumptions here because many of us see ourselves as in the house. And maybe you are in the house in that you've been raised your entire life in a culture of Christianity. We live in a country that as much as we we mourn the loss of Christian values in America, it's still better than most countries and the values that they have. It's far more Christian than Thailand. It's far more Christian than a lot of other countries you can name. And we've been raised in this house. And we sing the songs and we memorize the verses. But God just wants to check you and say just because you're in the house doesn't mean you're in the family. There's a difference between a slave and a son. And Jesus says, so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So where does this leave us? I listened to uh, formerly, formerly Bruce Jenner, now goes by Caitlyn Jenner, gave a testimony on TV this week. Listen to this. I wish I could play it for you. We, we didn't have, we don't have it set up to do that yet, but I wish I could play this snippet for you because you will see eyes full of tears, a, a quivering voice, a, a desperation. And Jenner says, speaking about the end of all eternity, at the end of life, when that day comes and you go up those steps to the pearly gates. You're walking up the stairs and you're seeing God in front of you and you just ask the question, did I do a good job? Did I do the right thing? And you just hope that He says, hey, come on in. You did a good job. Jenner says, so that's what my life has been about. I'm just trying to be myself. There's no worse strategy in the world to getting to heaven than just trying to be yourself. And listen, I hope that that confession is not a confession that you hold. The uncertainty, the desperation. When I get there, I'm going to ask, is it enough? Will you let me in? Just hoping with crossed fingers that God will say, come on in, you did good enough. I hope that's not your confession because it is not sufficient. And God does not want that to be your confession, nor does John want that to be your confession. And we know this because in John chapter 20, he describes the reason why he wrote this book, the reason why he put quill to paper to communicate this to you. He says, we could have, I could have described so many other miracles that Christ did, but These that are written down are so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. And in in, in 1 John chapter 5, at the end of his life, he writes another letter to a church and he says almost the same things. He says, I write these things to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. And so, while we don't want to assume anything, I also want to exhort you, and don't miss this, 
assess your spiritual standing. Assess your standing. Don't assume it, but do make an assessment here. And it sounds to me like John is providing you with inspired material whereby you can properly assess your spiritual standing. There's a lot of things we cannot trust when trying to determine whether we have eternal life or not. And a feeling isn't good enough. A human assumption is poor. What can we look at? Well, let's look at this passage and glean a little something. First of all, look at, I have read them already, but verses 34 through 38. Listen to these words again. Listen to what Christ is emphasizing. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, this is, remember, this is them defending their standing. This is them defending. I have life. I have spiritual life. And he says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So he says, I speak what I've seen. Speaking about before, before he had flesh. He's speaking what he witnessed in heaven, what he witnessed in unity with the Father. And he says, but you do what you hear from your Father. So already he's creating a distinction. My Father's not the same as your Father. And what we have here then is you can declare whatever you want, whatever you want, but your deeds define your descent. You can declare whatever you want, Jesus is not impressed. Your deeds declare your spiritual lineage. I went to a gathering yesterday and Drew Porter smoked a lot of meats. And he told me specifically, I was about ready to throw out the fat and the chicken skin, but I knew you were coming, Ryan. And I knew you liked that, so I left it in there. And just about as he says that, I see Jackson walking by with a plate full of chicken skin. And I thought, yes, that he is my son, right? Just like me. Um, and uh, your deeds declare your lineage. I knew he was mine. He's just like me. And God say, uh, Jesus is saying, you can say what you want, but your actions reveal who you belong to. Not only that, not only... Um, do your deeds declare your descent? But look at verses 42. Well, look at in verse 39. I missed this part. Look at this. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be what? Doing the works that Abraham did. But you now seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not, that is not, this is not what Abraham did. It's not what Abraham did. You're doing something different than Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. So he's already established, my father is different than your father. And also, Abraham's not your father either because he behaved differently than you. Their deeds betrayed them. But not only that, now look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, "If now in verse 41, they kind of just, they're, they're, they're feeling a little hot under the collar here, so they're trying to throw things off. And they say, 
Uh, we were not born in sexual immorality. We have one father. Even God is our father. What are they? They're, they're subtly low-key accusing him. They're like, we weren't born in sexual immorality. Uh, someone here has a mysterious father. We know Joseph isn't your father. Jesus totally ignores it. He just goes on. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of the father, the devil. Now he comes right out and says it. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So whereas Christ said, your deeds declare your lineage, now he's also saying not only that, but your heart speaks louder than your mouth. Your loves reveal or betray your heart. What you love. He says, look what he said. He said, um, if you were, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. And so, a love for Christ reveals eternal life. Verse 43, a love for his word. It says, why do you not understand this? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Is God's word dusty and dry to you? Even worse, does it grate on your soul? Do you have a desire, a thirst for it, a longing for it? Do you love to go to His Word? That's a good sign. If you don't love His Word, I mean, and I, and I would say just be careful and evaluate. Take this sermon just with blood, earnest sincerity. If, if it's just, it's an obligation that you know you should do, that, that's a warning sign to you. Because those who are of God, they love Christ. They love His Word. And it says also that they love the things that God loves. They desire those things that match God's desires. In verse 44, he says, you're of your father because, uh, the devil, and you will do your father's desires. You will do your father's desires. What do you crave? What do you long after? Again, last night, the boys worked late. I was just about ready for bed when they got home. And their cousin was home just for the night. And so they decided to go out in the in the front yard and set off some fireworks. And that's okay. This is the time of year to do that. But we were just getting ready for bed. And Rachel said, are they still outside? I said, I don't know. Let me check. I went and I peeked out the window. And what I saw were the boys in the street and one of them had a Roman candle aimed like this, and the other one was over here with a baseball bat ready to knock, and they're taking pitches. And I said to Rachel, yeah, they're still out there. They're still out there. And, and when I described the scene, you know, she's thinking, who are these children? Because there has never been an inclination in her heart ever to try to lob a fiery projectile with a baseball bat. But what am I thinking? I'm thinking, I know they're mine. Cause I didn't even have to teach them that. They just, they just knew that would be fun. And spiritually speaking, it is the same thing for us. When we love the things that God loves. When our heart beats with His. And, and it, 
remember, we're growing. We start out as babies when we get saved. It doesn't happen overnight. It grows. It develops. But you should see a, a trajectory in your life. You should see a trending in your life of, I, lo- I, I have a desire for sin less and less. I have a desire for the things of God more and more and more. I truly, I don't come because I have to. I don't come out of obligation. I love to come. This is where I find life. It's not a good day if I don't come to the Word of God. This are the, these are the indications that Christ was speaking to His audience. Now we have to be careful because God, John gives us, oh, oh, one more, one more here. I almost missed it. Look down at verse, uh, 47. He says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So here we see not only does God Christ saying that your deeds, um, de- de- your, your, your deeds define your descent. Not only is he saying that your heart speaks louder than your mouth, but here Christ is saying that he is less convinced by the confession you speak and more convinced by the confession you hear. Less convinced by the confession you speak, more convinced by the confession you hear. Do you receive the messages from Christ? Do they resonate with you? Do you affirm them as true? Or are you an apologist to the culture? Constantly trying to make it somewhat palpable and at least offensive as possible. Or are you like me? You're like, no, this is it. This is all there is. This is life. I can hear it. His sheep hear His voice. And they know Him. And they follow Him. Now, again, we have to be careful here. And John gives us a warning and a means of further evaluation in the book of 1 John. Could you turn to 1 John just real quickly with me? We turn to 1 John and we see that he, uh, he, he cautions us to have realistic expectations that are not self-deceiving. Because if I, what I've been preaching so far, you might be looking at sin in your life and saying, okay, so I've got the sin, so I know, I know for a fact I'm not saved. I need to, I need to walk the aisle at the end of this sermon because I know I sin. If only I can get just as good as Pastor Ryan who never sins, right? Take me out to lunch a few times. Come to my house a few times. You'll find that is not my standard. We're all sinners. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 8. This can't get any more clear. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And this is a word that keeps coming up. The truth is not in us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and His Word is not in us. Okay, so what, what is He trying, what, what, what is my, what should my relationship to sin be? If I can't, if I can't 100% escape it in this life, John also said that if you practice sin, you're not born again. He wrote down Jesus' Word that says you're a slave to sin because you practice sin. So what are we supposed to do? Look at verse 5. Here's three questions. You can write these three questions down and help evaluate. Maybe put them in the margin of your Bible so that if there's ever satanic doubts that start sprouting up in your mind, you can go to this for assurance. Or perhaps if you have been in the house but you're not in the family, these questions will convict you greatly. And you will take care of business with God and put your faith in Him today. Here's the first question. Do I see my sin? Do I see it? 
or am I blind to it? Because look what he says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is his son cleanses us from all sin. If we ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So listen how he defines the light. The light doesn't mean I'm, I don't have any sin. I'm just, I'm a being of light, free from all sin. The light means it exposes the sin. You're aware of the sin. You see the sin. You're not blind to the sin. The, the people that Christ was, talk, was talking to, they could not see their sin. They couldn't be convinced of their sin. Why couldn't they see their sin? Because they were in the darkness. If you see sin in your life, that's not a bad sign because it means at least, at least you know this, you're in the light. You're not blind to the sin. You can see the sin. But not only that, not only that, we also... Here's a second question. Do I confess my sin? Do I confess my sin or do I hide it and deny it? Do I hide my sin? Do I deny my sin? I don't want anyone else to find my sin. I don't even confess my sins to God because I pretend that it's not a sin. Confession is an agreement with God. I'm laying this sin out to you, Lord. I'm saying I see it. I did it. I, I repent of that. I don't like that sin in my life. I agree with you that that is dangerous and that is death. I agree that you have only good things to give me and this is not for me. That's confession rather than denying it or hiding it. And we see that in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So ask yourself, do I see my sin? Do, uh, Do I confess my sin? And here's the third one. This one's important. Do I hate my sin? Do I hate my sin or... Do I defend it? There's a lot of defending sin in the church today. Well, that's my personality. That's just who I am. Do you hate your sin? Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you, not so you have a pass and sin all you want and just make sure you confess it. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But the point is, I don't want you to sin. You should have a natural disinclination to the sin in your life. Somehow it creeps in. Sometimes we cave in and we do it. Sometimes we get misguided. We creep into the darkness. But in the light, we look at it and we say, no, I hate it. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to excuse it. I want to be broken over my sin, embarrassed over my sin, humbled by my sin. Does that describe you? And as I, as I, as I look at this, I think about King David when, when he sinned with Bathsheba. And we see, we can read in Psalm, is it 50 or 51? Psalm 51, we see him after his sin was brought to light by the prophet Nathaniel. And after that, now he's living in the aftermath of, I've got God's Spirit inside me. If there was anyone in the Old Testament that has close to the assurances that we have today, we, we know that if we have God's Spirit, it's in us. It's, it's not going to be removed. And David was about as close to that as you can get. And we're going to see that towards the end of the year here as we continue in our series of seeing Christ in the Old Testament. But... 
he's living in the aftermath of, I am God's chosen one. I have his spirit within me. And I did this disgusting sin. How can I live with myself? And he's in this tension. And so then he prays, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. And what I read when I, what I, what I hear when I read that is this. David was feeling the tension of, I'm, I have eternal life. And yet I committed this sin and he knew that there was a disjunct and a conflict there that could not stand. One or the other had to give. And David is calling out to God and saying, one of these things have to give. Lord, let it be the sin. Get rid of the sin. I, I don't want to get, I don't want to lose you and keep the sin. I want to get rid of the sin and have you. So do you see your sin? Do you confess your sin? Do you hate your sin? We must continue on, but that, that is the trick, isn't it? How do I go about sinning less and less? Well, Jesus has an answer for us right here in this passage in John chapter 8. It's the, the, first, um, the first statement He made that we read. We're going to return to that. He had an answer for His audience and He has an, an answer for you as well. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The answer that my third exhortation to you is Christ's exhortation. Abide in his word and you will be set free. Free from what? Well, verse 34, from the practice of sin, from the slavery of sin. Verse 36, you will be set free to sonship. Abide in His Word. Now, that's an action that you can choose to take or you can choose not to take it. Will you be one of those who abide in His Word? His Word is... Notice it's Word singular. It's His message. It's the communication of truth that He delivered through His life and through His sermons. Do you abide in it? Abide indicates... I think of two things when I think of abiding. I think of persistent continuation. Persistent continuation. I'm abiding in His Word. I think of this, harmonious cohabitation. So not only am I committed to this union, I'm in the Word, I'm in His message, I'm in the vein of His life mission, but also it doesn't grate on me. It's not contrary to who I am. There's a pleasant union here. I, I like being in this stream. I, I like who I am in Christ. That's what it means to abide in His Word. And you will note in this text, there's this cascading series of effects for those who choose to abide in Christ. What do we have? First of all, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. So discipleship. When you abide in His Word, discipleship happens. And the big key words here are if and truly, meaning don't claim discipleship if you don't have an abiding kind of relationship with the message and mission of Jesus Christ. And this is our mission as a church. And we're trying to do better and better at it. We're always trying to adjust. That's why small groups is important because you come together and you 
challenge each other to be continual abiders in the Word of God. You study it out. You pursue it. You see what Christ's mission in your life looks like. So we pursue discipleship. And, um, and again, that word, the word word, it's the overarching message and mission. It means you've picked up the mantle of Christ's commission. You've put your hand to the plow of what He put His hand to. You're saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow in His steps. I'm picking up my cross and I'm following Him. So abiding indicates discipleship. And secondly, we see that abiding also, an abiding disciple has reliable access to truth. It goes abiding to discipleship to truth. He or she has a confident acquisition of truth. And that's a valuable commodity. That's what's up for grabs in our culture today. What is truth? John was obsessed with truth. I think 30 times in his Gospel and in his epistles, he uses the word truth. It's a theme that keeps coming up again and again. In what he quoted Jesus saying, um, again and again we see this idea of truth coming out. And John presents us three access points to truth. And I want you, I know we're getting late in the sermon. Don't, I don't want to lose you now. Don't get tired. Slap yourself. Pinch your neighbor if you have to. But wake up and listen to this because this is important. Because there are, there are changes that are happening in the church world in America today. Names that used to be reliable. Institutions that you used to not have to vet because they were solid are taking left turns. And it's very important that you know where to find truth. Because not only are they apologizing for the truth and redefining the truth, but they're giving you false avenues to find truth. So you need to know for yourself. And John gives us three um, access points to real truth. First of all, obviously, it's Jesus Christ. And each one of these access points, by the way, notice there, there's a connection to truth and in John's Gospel, anyway, a connection to the word Word. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus confess? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is truth. In John chapter 18 and verse 37, can we put that verse up there? For Jesus standing before Pilate, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Truth was important to Jesus. That's why I'm here. He's still the access point for truth. And Pilate responded with something that absolutely resonates in our culture today. What did Pilate say? Do you remember? He said, what is truth? What is it? Jesus said, right here, I am truth. So you need to go to Jesus to find truth. You need to know Jesus better than you know any other character in the Bible. You need to know Jesus more than you know any other pastor. You need to recognize Christ's voice. If, if you're listening to a pastor preaching on YouTube and he claims to quote Jesus, you should instantly be able to verify, no, 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 Jesus never said that. Or if he claims this is what Jesus would do, you should know Jesus so well that you say, no, I, I can't imagine Jesus doing that. Jesus is truth. Not only Jesus, but the Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, Jesus says this. He says, I, 
He's about ready to go. And he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. So we have that Spirit with us now, guiding us in all truth as we look at Jesus and and learn from His life. We have the Spirit of truth within us and the connection to Word in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 it says, the sword of the Spirit, says that we should have the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Sword of the Spirit. That means the the Spirit bears a weapon. And He uses that in your life to communicate truth. And what is that weapon? It's the Word of God. So we have Jesus, we have Spirit, and we have Bible. Those are our avenues to truth. The Bible, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, sanctify them, make them holy. That's what this whole, make them less sinful, more holy with your Word. Your Word is truth. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. That means it is the voice of God. He exhaled His Word to us. We have it in our hands. This is truth. Know it. Study it. Be discerning. Search it out. Wrestle with it. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 15, it says, um, to paraphrase it, be eager and assiduous to present yourself to God as an approved worker who has no need to be ashamed. The ESV says, rightly handling the word of truth. I think the King James got it better. King James says, do you remember what it says? Rightly dividing the word of truth. The reason why I think that King James got that better is because that word divide, it's never used in scripture to talk about handling. The, the idea is when they, when they had to make a road and they would level everything, cut down shrubbery, cut through a, a hillside, remove everything so they had a path. That's the word. Dividing. Dividing the word of truth. You need to know the word of God so you can go in it, carve a path where you need to go. That's what we're doing right now in this sermon. I'm going to the Word of God. I'm carving a path so I can determine, do I have life or not? Have I fooled myself? Am I one of those people? You know, Jesus said there's a broad path that's easy and there's a narrow path and few there be that find it. Am I of the few? Jesus said many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? It doesn't say there's a, there's a few people that are, it doesn't say there's a remnant of people that will think they're saved and aren't really. He says many will be. Am I in the many or am I in the few that found the path to life? We're carving a path in scripture to determine that. So, our access points to truth is Jesus Christ himself the Spirit as He communicates both Jesus to us and the Word of God to us. And unfortunately, and I know I'm running out of time, but this is important. This is under attack today. There are other avenues of truth, so-called, that are being promoted by what we would have considered godly people and godly institutions. And you need to recognize, I don't know, I don't know anything about Justin Peters, but I like this quote of his. He said, if you want to hear God speak, Read the Bible. And if you want to hear Him speak audibly, read it out loud. This is where we find truth. And it's, it's sufficient. It's all we need. Now, 
in closing. So this cascading effects of those that abide in His Word, they're, they're committed to discipleship. They have access, reliable access to truth. And then the result is they find freedom. And herein, we also find freedom. But the recipe is precise. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. And uh, don't, don't turn your brains off. They're coming up, but I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying here. Okay, listen to me. They're coming forward. The recipe for freedom from sin is important. Christ gave it to us. Right? He says, you need to abide in My Word. Abide. That means you have commitment to it. Not a fair weather commitment, but true commitment. Harmonious cohabitation with my mission, my vision, who I am, what I said your purpose in life is. We need to have a discipline of discipleship in our life. If you want to be free from sin, listen, these things, they're easy not to do. They're very easy to say, yeah, I agree with that, and then not do it at all. We need to have the discipline of discipleship in our life. We need to be committed to truth through only the trusted sources of Jesus Christ, His Spirit, and the Bible. I hope you go more to the Word of God than you go to sermons about the Word of God. I hope you listen more to passages of Scripture than people talking about passages of Scripture. And you read this book rather than books about this book. There's no better way to vet the instruction you're getting than through the Word of God itself. Discipline, commitment to truth, and then a relational and restful abiding in the life and mission of Christ. The Gospel. And every day that you do it, it gets a little easier, but it's like running. It's like running. Every day you do it, it gets a little easier, but you got to do it every day. That's the hard part. No off time. No coasting for the believer. So brothers and sisters, the freedom from sin is yours if you will have it. Let us pursue it with all of our might because He's provided it with all of His might. Let us rest in that freedom. Let us celebrate the freedom from the punishment of sin, freedom from the power of sin in our life, and here's the best part, freedom from the persuasion of sin. You do this. You abide in His Word and sin becomes so obvious to you. You don't fall for the tricks of Satan anymore. You don't listen to the deceits of what he's trying to lead you into death. So lay hold of this freedom and let those who have found it, I invite you now to stand. If you're in freedom, stand with me and let's celebrate Let's, uh, let's sing of our liberation from death and from sin.